The following sermon is by Josh Tancordo, the teaching pastor at Redeeming Grace Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Redeeming Grace is a gospel-centered church that values rich biblical teaching and authentic Christian community. Learn more by visiting our website at redeeminggracepittsburgh.com. As uh, Rick mentioned, we have been going through the book of Acts passage by passage. And this morning, the next passage we come to is Acts 2, 42 through 47, as we continue on in that journey. And before we go any further, let's pray. Lord, what a comfort it is to sing and to know of your faithfulness. Lord, even the best of people on this earth will sometimes let us down, Lord. I know people have let me down and I've let other people down. And I'm sure every single one of us can say that same thing. But we are so grateful that you never let us down. Lord, not, the Bible says not one of your promises falls to the ground. Lord, what a confidence that we can have. Not only for this life, but even for eternity, that you are a faithful God. Lord, we pray that we would see your faithfulness this morning. Lord, as you promised to, to bless the proclamation of your word, Lord, that it would have its full intended effect. Lord, just as the rain comes down from heaven, it says, and does not fail to water the earth. Lord, I pray that your word would not fail to bear fruit in our lives, to nourish us, to refresh us even to convict us and cut away everything in our lives that doesn't need to be there. Oh God, use your word in a powerful way this morning for the good and for the holiness of your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've spent much time at all in you know, just about any evangelical or Bible-believing church, you've probably heard people talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus. Man, that's a pretty popular evangelical phrase. And even though that exact phrase doesn't appear in the Bible, I do think it's a pretty helpful one in many ways. Uh, for example, it emphasizes the fact that it's not enough for us to just practice various religious observances or Go through the motions, as it were. But rather, we need to have an actual relationship with Jesus that's real and genuine and life-changing. However, this phrase, personal relationship with Jesus, can also at times be interpreted in a way that's rather unhealthy, I'll say. See, many people especially in our individualistic society, have this view that Christianity is just about me and Jesus, right? They believe that, that living as a Christian doesn't necessarily need to involve anyone else, right? You don't need other Christians or a church because, well, it's all about having a personal relationship with Jesus. That's all that really matters. The decision of whether or not to be a part of a church 
is uh, often viewed kind of like maybe going to a restaurant and getting lemon in your water or not. You know, as you know, if you go to a restaurant and order water, they'll a lot of times ask you if you want lemon in that. And it's completely up to you, right? If you think you would like lemon, you could get lemon. If you don't think you would like it, well, that's okay. You don't have to get it. It's completely whatever you prefer. And I believe that's the way a lot of people view church. Merely as an optional extra that's available if you want it, but that you don't really need in order to be a faithful or healthy Christian. However, when we look at the New Testament, we see that even though our relationship with Jesus may be personal, it's not at all meant to be private. Let me say that again. Even though our relationship with Jesus may be personal, it's not at all meant to be private. See, when God saves you, he saves you into a family. And that family is called the church. And the passage of scripture we'll be looking at this morning, Acts 2, 42 through 47, shows us very clearly just how true that is. Now, to set the context here, you may remember from last week that Peter has just delivered his famous sermon at Pentecost. And he's just explained to thousands of people who were gathered for this, this Jewish feast of Pentecost that Jesus is their long-awaited Messiah. He refers to Jesus as a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. In other words, Jesus' miracles demonstrate his identity. But then, as Peter explains, Jesus came not just to do miracles, but also, and most centrally, to do something that nobody expected. Right? Jesus allowed his enemies to crucify, like voluntarily allowed them to do so. And the reason he did that was because our sins cried out for God's judgment, right? Because God is a, a righteous God, and therefore he can't let our sin go unpunished. And so typically, of course, we would have been the ones to suffer the punishment for that sin since we're the ones who committed it. But in an act of extraordinary grace and mercy toward us, Jesus died on the cross to endure that punishment in our place. Like he suffered the agonies of the cross as our substitute. And then three days later, of course, he, he accomplished the greatest miracle of all when he rose from the dead to show that he was and is the true Messiah sent from God to rescue everyone who will put their trust in him. And that rescue involves not only forgiveness of sins, but also adoption into God's family. I mean, it's pretty incredible when you think about it. Like, God doesn't just 
forgive our sins and then keep us at an arm's length for the rest of eternity. No, he adopts us into his family. And that's exactly what we see being played out here in Acts 2, 42 through 47. Peter's just preached his sermon and thousands of people have come to faith in Jesus. And then here's what happens right after that. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the main idea I'd like us to examine today, and that arises out of this text, is that the local church is at the very center of New Testament Christianity. The local church is at the very center of New Testament Christianity. Now, this is going to be a two-part sermon, this part being, or this week being part one, and next week being part two. And next week, we're going to go more or less phrase by phrase through this passage and get into many more of the nitty-gritty details of these verses. But this week, we're just going to sort of stay at the 30,000-foot level and make some general observations about this passage. And I believe the most important thing this passage shows us, like I said, is that the local church is at the very heart, the very center of New Testament Christianity. Now, this is one of those things in the passage is so obvious that it would be very easy for us to just read right over it without a second thought. But just notice how when Peter preaches his sermon, and 3,000 people come to faith, they don't all just go their separate ways after that. Right? They don't turn to each other and say, hey guys, this, you know, this was a lot of fun. You know, we should yeah, maybe do this again next year if we can. Uh, no, that's not what happens. Right? They don't just take a few selfies and then disperse. They form a community. They continue meeting together on a regular basis. And verse 42 records how they continue listening to the apostles' teaching on a regular basis and gathering for prayer regularly and essentially become a spiritual family. That's incredibly significant. I mean, don't just read over that. From the very first day Christianity started and onward after that, Christians have always form themselves into Christian communities. Here in Acts 2, they viewed themselves not merely as individual followers of Jesus, with each one doing their own thing, but rather as a distinct community of people that other passages throughout the, the New Testament commonly refer to as a church. So that's where we get our main idea, that the local church is at the very center of New Testament Christianity. And as a way of unpacking that statement, there are two observations about the church I'd like to make, both of which are clearly visible in this passage. First, 
The church is central to the health of God's people. Again, the church is central to the health of God's people. And it seems as though these early Christians just intuitively understood this. I love the way verse 44 describes the closest of their fellowship. It simply says that they were together. I love that. They, they just were together. You didn't often find one without finding another. And verse 46 tells us how frequently they met. Every day, right? Day by day, it says. Obviously, nobody made them do this. They just wanted to and presumably sensed their need to relate to each other in that way. You know, one metaphor that we find throughout the New Testament to, that really helps us flesh out this idea that Christians need each other is that of a body. Now, the New Testament frequently refers to the church as the body of Christ. And we find Paul elaborating on this metaphor a little bit in Romans 12, 4 and 5. He writes, for as in one body, like physically, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Members one of another. So just like the, the various parts of a physical body need each other, the, the various, we as Christians, the various members of the church need each other as well. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like if your physical body had eyes but no hands. I mean, you wouldn't be able to do very much, would you? Uh, and it'd be very frustrating because you would be able to see with your eyes very clearly what needs to be done, but you wouldn't actually be able to do it. Or think about it, if you had feet, but no ears. As you may know, the inner part of the ear is very important for your balance. And so you would be able to like walk places, but you probably wouldn't get very far without doing a very memorable face plant, right? So the, the parts of a body need each other. And according to Paul, it's the same with the members of a church. The fact is that each member needs the ministry of the other members and the other members need the ministry of that member. And that's why it's so critical for us as Christians to to just gather together on a very regular basis. You know, several weeks ago, my two older sons and I, we went out for a Cub Scout camping trip. And uh, we, we had a great time. We went hiking. We uh, went out searching for snipe. Maybe some of you have done that before. Nothing too mean. But went out searching for snipe. And, of course, we had a campfire uh, that we used for cooking. And, of course, we had some s'mores as well. But then it was time to turn in for the night. And of course, before we could go to sleep, we had to do something about the campfire. I mean, you can't just leave the campfire unattended while you go to bed. And so what do you think we did with the logs and the embers inside the campfire ring? We, we separated them. We spread them out as much as we could because we knew that doing so would weaken the fire 
considerably. We knew that the, the embers would no longer be able to share each other's heat and that once they were separated, they would go out much more quickly. And that's the way it is for us as Christians as well. Isolation, being separated from one another, is one of the worst things that can ever happen to us. In fact, the vast majority of the time, there's no quicker way for the fire of our passion for God to fade and eventually be extinguished than for us to be isolated. And by the way, we actually have empirical evidence for that during COVID. You would think that during those first few months of COVID, when everything was locked down, that Christians would have more time to read their Bibles and therefore that they would do it more, right? I mean, that would seem to make sense that they would read their Bibles more during the COVID lockdowns. But according to research conducted by Lifeway, the opposite was actually the case. Christians actually reported reading their Bibles considerably less during the COVID lockdowns. That was the result when Christians weren't able to gather together. And it's a downward spiral because the less we're together, the more apathetic we often become. And the more apathetic we become, well, the less we desire to get together again. And by the way, Satan knows this, right? I mean, he's, he's not dumb. He's not naive. He absolutely knows this and would love to do whatever he can to isolate us. That's why I've heard it said, and I heartily agree, that the most important time to be at church is when you don't feel like it. The most important time to be at church is when you don't feel like it. Because it's then that the fire has begun to go out. Also, in addition to the metaphor of a body, uh, the New Testament gives us some very clear warnings about our natural tendencies in isolation from other Christians. Uh, we find one of the most sober of these warnings in Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. The book of Hebrews, by the way, was written to Christians who were going through a difficult time. They were actually experiencing some persecution because of their faith and were therefore tempted to revert back to their old way of living. And it's in response to that temptation that the book of Hebrews was written. And the author tells them in Hebrews 3, 12 through 14, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But, here's the solution, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that's every day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So you see what that's saying, right? Apparently, Looking at verse four, 13, there's a real danger that we'll be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Left to ourselves, we can very easily 
wander off and begin chasing after sin instead of chasing after Jesus. Sin's deceitful like that. It deceives us into thinking that it'll satisfy us, that it'll take care of us, and that it's our best option. And it can very easily pull us in. That's why we need each other. One author named Paul Tripp writes in response to this verse, I need you in order to really see and know myself. Otherwise, I will listen to my own arguments, believe my own lies, and buy into my own delusions. My self-perception is as accurate as a carnival mirror. If I'm going to see myself clearly, I need you to hold the mirror of God's word in front of me. That's what we need as Christians. We need each other. And the place you get that kind of nurture and that kind of committed love is in a church. That's why thinking that you don't need a church is uh, quite honestly incredibly prideful and incredibly foolish. So that's the first observation I'd like to make this morning. Uh, the church is essential to the health of God's people. Also, in addition to that, the church is central to God's plan for reaching the world with the gospel. The church is central to God's plan for reaching the world with the gospel. In fact, I don't think it'd be an overstatement to say that the church is God's plan for reaching the world with the gospel. As one theologian has said, the church is plan A and there is no plan B. God's plan is the church. Returning to our main passage in Acts 2, we see the remarkable way in which God used the church to reach more and more people. And verse 47 tells us, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And then later on in Acts, after we see the God used the church in Acts 2 in such a remarkable way, we see the Apostle Paul highlighted as the key missionary who spread the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. And what was his strategy? What did he do? How did he approach that? Did he just organize a media blitz? Did he try to infiltrate the government? Did he create nothing but ministries that were focused on social needs? Did he just try to get all the individual Christians to do the, the best they could to, to reach other people on their own? No, everywhere he went, he established local communities of believers, local churches, so that those churches could continue reaching out to their city even after Paul moved on to the next city. So he would move into a city, share the gospel, see people come to faith, organize them into a church, and then move on to the next city. And then he would circle back a while later after the church had had time to mature a little bit, and he would appoint leaders in those churches and make sure they were doing okay. And then after he left again, many times the churches would, would get off track in various ways, and so he'd either send them a personal representative or he would write a letter to them 
correcting their errors. And it's a good thing he did that because those letters are a very important part of what we now know today as the New Testament. Most of the books that we find in the New Testament were letters that Paul wrote. And most of those letters were written not to individuals, but to churches. The churches Paul had established. And so these churches weren't an afterthought for Paul. They were central to his missionary strategy. And they were also central to God's strategy. Because the book of Acts mentions time and time again how the Holy Spirit is the one who at times very specifically guided Paul to do the things that he did and approach things the way he approached them. And so if the church was so central to Paul's mentality and if it was so central to God's mentality, then don't you think it should be central to our mentality as well? And as we strive to do our part to reach the world with the gospel, you know, how, how knucklehead would we have to be to neglect something that the Bible presents as so critical? Now, how dare we make something peripheral that the Bible makes so central? And so to sort of tie all this together, Acts 2 is in many ways ground zero for the centrality of the church in the New Testament. It shows us that the church wasn't merely helpful or even just important. No, it was central to Christianity in the New Testament. The whole concept of just being a Christian by yourself and drifting through life without significant involvement in a local church, that, that whole idea is just completely foreign to the New Testament. Instead, the local church is at the very heart of it all. It's central to our own spiritual health and central to God's plan for reaching the world with the gospel. And so let me encourage you this morning to do a few things. First of all, try to cultivate a greater awareness of how the hyper-individualistic mentality that so saturates our culture has affected your view of church and your approach to church. I spent some time reflecting on that. You know, it's amazing how unaware we can be of how uh, the, the cultural assumptions and biases that we have are driving our lives and even driving our interpretation of Scripture. You know, you heard me mention a few moments ago how most of the letters in the New Testament were written not to individuals, but to churches. And yet, how often do we read them as if they were addressed to us as individuals? Like, how often do we read the, the yous, the second person uh, pronouns in those letters? How often do we read them as if they were singular yous rather than the plural yous that they are in just about every case. And how might that cause us to read them differently than we should and miss the full weight of their meaning? See, the fact is that we are influenced far more by our hyper-individualistic culture 
than we perhaps understand many times. And that shows up not only in our interpretation of Scripture, but in our lives, undoubtedly. And more specifically, in our whole mentality toward church. So maybe just go home this afternoon and do some reflecting on how that hyper-individualistic mentality has been affecting you and perhaps causing you to fall short of uh, biblical teaching. Also, and more specifically, uh, let me just encourage you to make attending here on Sundays, I'm, I'm speaking primarily to the members of Redeeming Grace Church as I say this, uh, to just making attending here on Sundays the, the priority that it needs to be. And believe it or not, I've actually had Christians, uh, not, not in this church, but elsewhere, I've had Christians tell me that, that church attendance isn't anywhere commanded in the Bible. And uh, yeah, I don't know exactly what Bible they were reading, but my Bible has Hebrews 10, uh, 24 and 25, which says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear command. And, and notice that this command isn't arbitrary or legalistic either. Like there's a purpose behind not neglecting to meet together. You know, it, it kind of like when a parent tells their, their child to eat nutritious foods or to maybe go to bed at a certain hour. I, I don't think you know, most parents lay down those rules out of some sort of legalistic spirit, right? They say those things because they care about their kids. They, and they understand that living in a certain way is best for their, the, the welfare of their children. And similarly, when God instructs us not to neglect meeting together in this verse, he does so for a purpose. We need each other. Now look what the verse says. We gather so that we can, quote, stir one another up to love and good works, and also so that we can be encouraging one another, it says. That's what we gather here on Sundays to do. And um, let me point out here that gathering is indeed necessary to do it. Like this isn't something you can do just by watching the live stream of the worship service on Facebook. In order to do Hebrews 10 ministry in the church, you kind of have to be here. And hopefully, by the way, when you come, you can come with that Hebrews 10 mindset. The mindset of being very intentional about ministering to the others who are here. You know, building relationships with them and, and having edifying conversations. Now, honestly, it might not even be a bad idea to show up 20 minutes early and stay 20 minutes late. I mean, there's, there's so much you're missing out on if, if you come at 1030 on the dot and, and leave the moment service is over. So let me encourage you to, to just, not in some sort of legalistic way, to just, but out of love for one another, to, to walk in those doors with that mentality. Walk in those doors with love for the people of God, praying that God would guide you where to sit, who to talk to, and that, and that he would use you to 
minister to the others who are gathered here and to be an encouragement to them. And even if your ability to do that is limited for some reason, maybe, you know, you, you got kids climbing all over you. Like my family knows how that is, right? So maybe your ability to, to come early and have a lot of meaningful conversations is limited for whatever reason. That's okay. Just understand that even if you're not able to do all that, please know that just being here is itself a ministry to other people. It's kind of like a dad who might have a busy schedule, but who always makes it a priority to just be there for his kids, to, to be there for family meals, to be there for sports events, to be there for birthday parties, just to be present and engaged as, as frequently and as consistently as possible. That's a huge part of being a great dad. Yeah, you don't necessarily have to be this great athlete or you know, buy your kids lots of expensive gifts or you'll be the coolest guy in the neighborhood. You just got to be present and engaged with your kids. And it's the same way with the church. Don't underestimate the value of just showing up the simple fact that you cared enough to be here and you made it enough of a priority to be here, even when there are undoubtedly many other things you could be doing. Just that simple fact is in itself an encouragement and something that strengthens the rest of us. And of course, let me say that there are obviously some very legitimate reasons for not attending, right? Such as being sick or being obligated to work, or you know, especially on a weekend like this week, uh, you know, there are a lot of people are traveling out of town. I mean, that is, that's totally fine. Like, uh, actually, that's why we have the live stream, right? It's for people who want to be here, but legitimately aren't able to. But just understand that the live stream is intended to function as a bridesmaid to a bride not as something that replaces or that substitutes for the bride. There's just no substitute for being here in person if you're able to do so. So let me just encourage you to, to make being here on Sundays the priority it needs to be. Um, if you are a member of the church and you're in town and you are healthy and you are not obligated to work, I'm sure we could add several other things to that list, but if there's no extenuating circumstance, we, we pretty much expect you to be here just about every single week. I mean, that is the, the general expectation, I would say. That is the hope. And uh, just to be candid with you, you, we have been holding off doing this because of COVID, and we just want to be sensitive to, to everybody and, and the, the mentality that they have and the, the anxiety that they might feel. So we've been holding off doing this, but the time is quickly coming. It's not here quite yet, but it's quickly coming when we will need to once again start removing people from membership uh, at the church who are not attending at all um, unless there's some sort of extenuating circumstance in their lives. We can't minister to you and you can't minister to us if you're not here. Um, and so guys, if, if Acts 2, 42 through 47 shows us anything, 
it shows us that God intends for us to live as a community of believers who love each other and care for each other and who are committed to each other, all with the understanding that we need each other. When God saves a person, he saves them into a family. And it's a wonderful thing. And it's only in the context of that family that we can be all that God wants us to be and do all that God wants us to do.